0: you have your Bible with you again this morning, take it out and go over to a book that we will begin reading this week in our Bible reading, and that is the Gospel of John. Go to John chapter 1 in your New Testament. John 1, the majority of our study, will be coming from that particular chapter. I'm very, very thankful that we've been able to worship God and begin our classes today again. We give God the glory for that. It's been certainly a wonderful day of worship so far. Well, we're almost finished. Can you believe that? Can you believe we've almost done it? Can you believe that we've almost read the whole New Testament this year? If you've been keeping up with your Bible reading schedule, and I certainly hope that you have, Then I'm happy to tell you today that as you sit there in that pew, you, my friend, have read 23 of the 27 New Testament books. You have read the majority of the New Testament epistles. And you've read the book of Acts, and you've even read three out of the four Gospels. In fact, I gotta tell you that for me personally, I have probably enjoyed. Rereading the Gospels more than anything else. I have thoroughly enjoyed rereading the Gospels this year because in them, we just learn so much about the identity of Jesus. And then we learn so much about the fullness of Jesus. And then we learn so much about who Jesus is and what he's all about. In fact, this is something that all the gospel writers deal with immediately in their accounts. For example, in the case of the Gospel of Matthew, if you remember, Matthew actually begins his account by connecting Jesus. He connects the lineage of Jesus to both Abraham and David. Matthew begins his account by talking about the Jewish genealogy of Jesus he wants to make the case that Jesus is the prophesied Messiah and then in the case of Mark Mark begins his account by announcing Jesus as the son of God Luke begins his account by announcing Jesus as the son of man he takes the genealogy of Jesus all the way back to Adam he wants to show how Jesus connects to all humanity And then in the case of John, this gospel that we're going to begin reading this week, John may actually provide the strongest introduction of Jesus found anywhere in the Bible. You see, instead of introducing Jesus with genealogy, or with his virgin birth, or his baptism, or even with his ministry that begins in Galilee, John chooses to introduce the Lord Jesus by taking us back to the beginning. He says in John chapter 1 and verse 1, In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. Notice how John begins his gospel by saying in the beginning question. Can you think of any other book in the Bible that begins the same way? Can you think of any other book that begins with those three words in the beginning? You being the good Bible students, I know you are. You can recall exactly another book in the Bible that begins that same way, right? The book of Genesis. Genesis 1 and verse 1, what does it say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You see, by opening up his account in this way, the Apostle John is clearly trying to get our minds to go back to the book of Genesis. He is clearly trying to get our minds to go back to the beginning, back to the beginning of the creation of the world. He wants us to understand that when it comes to Jesus, he was there in the beginning. He was there at the creation. He was there before the world was even made. In fact, beyond just telling us that the Lord was there in the beginning, I want you to also notice how John reveals three important things that we need to understand about who Jesus was in the beginning. Going back to John chapter 1 and verse number 1, notice how as John begins his gospel, and as we continue trying to experience the fullness of Christ, one of the things that John tells us about Jesus is, is he wants us to understand that in the beginning, Jesus was the word. John 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Question, what does John mean when he refers to Jesus in this way? What does John mean when he refers to Jesus as the word? How is Jesus the word? Well, as we begin trying to really break that down and comprehend what John means with that description, let's just take a moment or two to talk about words for a little bit. Let's talk about words. I think we can all agree that words, when it comes to words, words play a very significant role in our lives, right? As human beings, we use words all the time. I'm using words right now. We use words in our marriages. We use words as we raise our kids. We use words on our jobs. We even use words as we worship God in spirit and in truth. We use words to express ourselves. We use words to communicate. We use words to give instructions and and explain things and and to and to pour out our feelings. I don't care who we are this morning. If we can talk. Then we all use words to accomplish those purposes. And if we can understand that, if we can understand the purpose of words and our daily interactions, then we can also understand what John means here when he refers to Jesus as the Word. When John refers to Jesus as the Word, he means that when Jesus came into this world 2,000 years ago, he came into the world to communicate or explain the will of the Father. He came into the world to tell people exactly who the father was. He came into the world to reveal to mankind verbally the love of God, the grace of God, and the desire that God has for all people to be saved. In fact, he wanted people to know with his words that it is through him, Jesus, that all people can be saved. Are you still in John chapter one? Look at what John goes on to say in verse 17. In verse 17, he says, for the law, the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Let's just stop right there for just a moment. Notice how in that verse, John mentions two people. He mentions Moses and he mentions Jesus. He says that when it came to Moses, Moses gave one thing and Jesus gave something else. Moses gave the law. That's a reference to the Old Testament law of Moses. The Ten Commandments and a host of other other commandments that were given at Mount Sinai. Moses gave the law, but Jesus gave a system of grace and truth. Moses gave the law. Jesus gave the system of grace and truth. He goes on to say, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten of God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained to Him. One of the main things that we all have in common this morning is none of us have ever seen God. None of us have ever personally seen God the Father. The only person to ever walk on this earth who can testify of being able to see God the Father in His glory is Jesus. Jesus saw the father. Jesus came from the father. Jesus was in the bosom of the father from eternity because Jesus is the only one to have ever seen and been in the bosom of the father. That means he is perfectly qualified to explain the father. John says that Jesus came into the world and he explained the father. That is, he came into the world and he revealed the truth about the father. He revealed the truth about the love of the father and the grace of the father and the justice of the father and the forgiveness of the father. And the holiness of the father and the mercy of the father and even the standard for morality and daily living of the father. Are you still in John chapter 1? Look at verse 14. In verse 14, John says in the word, the word became flesh. That's how we know the word there is a reference to Jesus. The word that's mentioned in verse number 1, we know that is a reference to Jesus because Jesus is the only member of the Godhead to actually step out of heaven, to actually step out of the realm of eternity and put on flesh. John 1 and verse 14, the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. He dwelt among humanity and we saw his glory, glory glorious of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and what? Grace and truth. Jesus came into the world full of grace and truth. You put that with what Jesus himself says in John 14 and verse 6. Remember, Jesus in John 14, verse six says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father but through me. As we pointed out in a sermon that was presented two or three weeks ago. Contrary to what a lot of folks in our society believe today, when it comes to truth, truth is not subjective. Truth is not relative. Truth is not whatever we want it to be. Instead, the Bible says that truth is legitimate. Truth is real. Truth is something that really does exist. And Jesus says it is him. The Apostle John and our Lord Jesus tell us that Jesus is the truth. That is, he's the source of truth. That is, he's the full embodiment of truth. That is, he came into the world as the word to testify of the truth. You see, when Jesus walked on this earth 2,000 years ago, my friends, when the people of Israel saw him, you know what they saw? They saw the truth. They saw the living truth. They saw the living embodiment of the word of God, but unfortunately for many of them, they didn't recognize it. They didn't accept it. John 1 and verse 11. Look at John 1 and verse 11. It says, he, Jesus, came to his own and those who were of his own did not receive him. You see that language there, those who were of his own? That language, those who were of his own, is a reference to the Jewish people. As Brother Dave said in his Lord's Supper remarks, that's a reference to the descendants of Abraham, the people of Israel, the people who should have been most prepared to receive the Messiah when he came onto the scene. You see, unfortunately, for most Jews, Israelites, 2,000 years ago, they didn't receive Jesus They didn't receive him as the truth. They actually rejected him as the Messiah because he was not the Messiah that they wanted. He was not the Messiah that they were looking for. They were looking for a Messiah to come like King David, someone who would be a great military leader and liberate them from the Romans. But Jesus comes onto the scene as some poor carpenter from Nazareth talking about a spiritual kingdom. That's not of this world. They didn't want that. He rejected Jesus as the word, as the truth. The question is, what about us? What about us? I mean, do we eagerly accept Jesus as the truth? Do we eagerly accept the words that he has revealed from heaven? I want to submit to you that that if we do that, we're going to have one of the greatest blessings in our life. You see, brothers and sisters, if we accept Jesus as the truth, then we're going to have something that leads to real freedom in life. Then we're going to have something that leads to spiritual freedom. We're going to have something that leads to true liberation from the bondage of sin. Jesus talks about that in John 8 and verse 32. We're also going to have something that's rock solid and sure We're also going to have something that is concrete and unchangeable. Let me tell you something. No matter what laws are passed by our politicians. No matter who sits on the Supreme Court, no matter if the Supreme Court is packed with up to 20 justices. No matter what our culture thinks about a particular moral issue shifts throughout the years, we need to understand that the truth of Jesus is never going to change. It's never going to go away. It's never, ever going to be destroyed. You see, no matter what happens in this world, no matter what happens in our country, no matter who takes the House, the Senate or the executive branches, the truth that Jesus has revealed about the reality of God and the love of God, guess what? That's, that's always going to be true. The Lord's death, burial and resurrection, that's always going to be true. The moral standard that Jesus promotes in the gospel, that's always going to be true. The reality of heaven and hell, that's always going to be true. The promise of his return. The day of our resurrection, the fact that he is currently sitting in heaven at the right hand of God, reign as King of kings and Lord of lords, that will always be true. No culture or thinking of culture can change that. No matter what happens in this world, the truth of Jesus will endure. It will last forever. It's never going to change regardless of physical circumstances. That's the first thing that John wants us to understand about Jesus. He wants us to understand that in the beginning, before the the world was even made, Jesus was there, and he was the Word. He was the truth, but not only was he the Word, the second thing John says about Jesus in the beginning is he also says that Jesus in the beginning was God. He was God. He was deity. Like God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, Jesus is also part of the Godhead. You see, as part of the Godhead, John uses this language found in the text because he wants us to understand that Jesus played a huge role in what the Bible announces in Genesis 1 and verse 1. He wants us to know that like God the Father, Jesus was also there in the beginning, creating the heavens and the earth. Like God the Father, Jesus is also eternal. Like God the Father, Jesus is also from everlasting to everlasting. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is sovereign. He is omnipresent. That means he's able to be everywhere all the time. He's also omniscient. That means he knows everything about everything. He knows everything about our lives. He knows even what we're thinking right now. Well, you go in your Bible back to John, look at John chapter 8. Look at John 8, please. John chapter 8. Verse number 56, here Jesus is speaking to some Jews who did not believe in him. They refused to accept him as the Messiah. This is a very hostile chapter. And in John 8 and verse 56, Jesus said to those Jews, your father Abraham, your forefather Abraham, he rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and he was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Boy, that made them mad because look at verse 59. They knew what he meant. Because it says, therefore, he picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out the temple. You see that language at the end of verse 58 where Jesus says, before Abraham was born, I am, I am. Do you by any chance recognize where else that language is found in the scriptures? Remember that language. It's the same language that God used in Exodus 3 and verse 14 to speak to Moses through the burning bush. Remember, before sending Moses back to the Hebrews to liberate them from Egyptian slavery, God told Moses in Exodus 3, verse 14, If they ask you who has sent you, you tell them, I am has sent you. There in Exodus chapter 3, God refers to himself as I am. That language, I am, refers to God's eternal nature. It refers to how God is timeless. It refers to how God is the Alpha and the Omega. He has no beginning. He has no end. That's what God means in Exodus chapter 3 when he uses that language. And brothers and sisters, that's exactly what Jesus means when he uses it here in John chapter 8. You see here. When Jesus says. I am. He is letting us know that before Abraham was born, and keep in mind that Abraham had been dead for about 2,000 years in the context here of John chapter 8. He he lived 2,000 years prior to this moment, and yet Jesus says that before Abraham was born 2,000 years ago, he existed. He was there in the beginning, creating the heavens and the earth. He is the one who executed the words of the Father. When the Father said, let there be light, He is the member of the Godhead who said who was part of the Godhead who said, let us create man in our image and according to our likeness. As Paul says in Colossians 1 in verse 16, through Jesus, the sun, the moon, the stars, and even angels were created. Through Jesus, all things were made and they are sustained. You see, at the beginning of his gospel, the gospel of John, John wants us to know that when it comes to Jesus, Jesus wasn't just a remarkable man. He wasn't just some prophet. He wasn't just some religious teacher or some rabbi who popped up onto the scene 2,000 years ago and changed the world with his teaching. Instead, John wants us to understand That in the beginning, all the way back in the beginning, Jesus was God. He was God in the beginning. He was God on the earth. He was both fully God and fully man at the same time. That's what John is getting at in John 1 and verse 1. The question is, how should we respond to that, though? How should we respond to the fact that Jesus is God? Well, I want to give you three things that we need to do in response to the reality that Jesus is God. First, because Jesus is God, we need to worship Him. You agree with that? We need to worship Jesus. We need to praise His glorious name like we do God the Father and God the Holy Spirit we need to worship the Son every time we come through those doors. Since Jesus is God, He's worthy of our worship. And since Jesus is God, He's also worthy of our trust. We need to trust Jesus. We need to trust Him as God. We need to trust in His Word, which is the Word of God. We need to understand that since He created us, Since he's the creator. Then that means he has inherent authority over us. That means he has the right to tell us exactly what to do and we are obligated to obey him. That means he knows everything about life. That means he knows everything about us. That means that with every instruction he gives us in his word, it only has our best interest in mind. We need to worship Jesus. We need to trust Jesus. And then thirdly, we need to stand in awe of Jesus. And Psalm 33, verse number eight, jot this verse down. Psalm 33, verse number eight, there the psalmist says this. He says, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. The psalmist says we need to stand in awe of God. We need to stand in awe of Jesus. We need to stand in awe of his creation. We need to stand in awe when we go to the Grand Canyon and when we go to Yellowstone and to the Rocky Mountains and to the Smoky Mountains. We need to stand in awe of all the things that Jesus made on this beautiful planet. We need to stand in awe of his power. We need to stand in awe of his miraculous power that we can read about in the Gospels. We need to stand in awe of the great love he demonstrated for us at Calvary. We need to stand in awe of how he was tempted in all things, in every way, and yet he still was without sin. We need to stand in awe of his ability to read hearts. We need to stand in awe of his ability to help us with every problem we face in our lives. We need to stand in awe of his authority. We need to stand in awe of his, of his holiness. We need to stand in awe of his power over man's greatest fear, which is death and the grave. John wants us to know that in the beginning, before the world was even created, Jesus was there. And he was the word. And he was God. He was deity. He's part of the Godhead. But then third and finally, John also says in the beginning, Jesus was the light of men. The light of men. Go back to John 1, please. Look back at John 1. Look at verse number four. After saying in verse number three, This goes back to our previous point. All things came into being through him, through Jesus. Apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. That backs up our last point. I look at verse four. Verse four. In him, in Jesus was life, not just physical life, but also eternal life, the source of all life. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify by light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. When I was a little boy, I was a small little boy. I was afraid of the dark. In fact, I was so afraid of the dark that I had to have a nightlight. Did y'all ever have a night light, or is that just me? I was afraid of the dark. I didn't really like the dark and I'm willing to guess that there may be some other folks here who feel that same way about the dark. Most people don't like the dark. Most people don't like when it's dark because when you're in the dark, it's it's really hard to to see anything that you want to do. When you're in the dark, it's hard to know how to walk and and, and how to run and and how to crawl and jump, and and it's especially hard to, to drive in the dark, right? You know, there have been many times in my home when I have gotten up at about, one or two o'clock in the morning to go get a drink or something out the fridge, only to find myself stomping my toe or tripping over something or stepping on Spider-Man, Black Panther, Captain America, or Barbie. (laughs) I've done that many times, and the reason why is because I can't see where I'm going in the dark. Most people don't like the dark because it's hard to navigate and see where you, Where you need to go and then other people don't like the dark because darkness is usually where evil lurks, right? I mean, think about it. Most crimes are committed at night. Most homes and cars are broken into at night. Most murders and, and cases of assaults are committed at night. Evil behavior usually lurks in the dark, but then you contrast that with with the light. You contrast that with with how the Bible describes light. You see, when it comes to light, unlike darkness, the Bible describes light. It always describes it as a good thing. It describes it as powerful. It describes it as something that you really want to have in your life. You see, my friends, when you have light in your life, you have something that illuminates. You have something that will help you navigate your way through the darkness. You have something that will help you see the right way to go. You have something that will expose the truth about reality. That's what the light does. And that's also what Jesus does. You see, here in John chapter 1, and really all throughout the Gospel of John, I mean, I could give you John 3, John 8, John 9, John 12, over and over again, John makes the point that Jesus came into the world to be the light. That is, he came into the world to be the source of light. He came into the world to provide spiritual direction. He came into the world to expose sin. He came into the world to expose the wicked and evil works of Satan and those who follow Satan. He came into the world to expose those things. Ultimately, through his word and through his example, the question is, how are we going to respond to it? How are we going to respond to the light of Jesus? What are we going to do with the light that he provides? Are we going to walk in it? Are we going to dwell in it? Are we going to allow it to shine and illuminate in our lives? Or are we going to reject it and walk in the darkness? Are we going to walk in the light of Jesus? And are we going to shine our lights as his people? You remember the Sermon on the Mount? Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5? Remember Matthew 5 and verse number 14. Remember what Jesus said there. He says, you are the light of the world. He's talking to his people. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. Notice how like Jesus is the light. He commands us to be lights, right? He commands me to be a light. He commands you to be a light. In other words, as we go out into into the world every single day, as we go out on our jobs and in our communities. And and as we as we go out among the people in this dark and sinful world, Jesus expects us to be different. Even with how we react on our social media pages. And I want you to really hear me on this. Even with how we behave on our social media pages, Jesus expects us to be lights. He expects people to see something different about us. He expects people to see us, whether it's on our jobs or in our schools or even on our Facebook or Twitter pages. When people in the world see us, Jesus wants them to see that we're not like everybody else. Like everybody else, we don't walk in the darkness. We're not divisive. We're not gossips. We're not bitter and hateful people. Instead, we live by a high moral standard. We live by love. We live by integrity. We live by inner peace, like Jesus is the light. He commands us to be lights. The question is, are you following his light? Are you following the light of Jesus? If you're not following the light of Jesus, my dear friends, I I have good news for you. I have good news from the gospel. And that good news is that Jesus died so that you can walk in his light. He died on the cross and was raised from the dead so that you can become part of his people. You just got to be willing to come to him and receive his grace on his terms. You got to believe in him. You got to turn away from your sins and you have to obey his commandment, his commandment to be baptized for the remission of your sins. And so if we can help you in that in any way at all, if we can help you come to the light and start walking in the light, then it'd be our pleasure to do that for you right here and right now. Let's stand. Let's sing together.